morning. Please turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at uh, continuing going through the book and looking at the person of Moses. Uh, and today's message is to know oneself and to know God. So if you're looking in your Bible, you know, it's Genesis is the first book. Exodus is the second book. And we're in the third chapter today. So I encourage you to, to kind of be turning there. While you're finding that, I just want to flip us back to Hebrews chapter 11, which... Uh, we've referenced that several times in this in the series, but it's the it's the it's the book or chapter of faith, the heroes of faith, and a lot of people are mentioned. In Moses, particular, it says, "By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter." So, at forty years old, he had grown up in Pharaoh's household. Remember, uh, his mom had placed him in the basket by the river when he was an infant. Pharaoh's daughter came, adopted him, made him her son, and then um, and he grew up in Pharaoh's household. But when he became 40, the Bible tells us that he rejected that. He pushed back against that. So at 40, he rejected the Egyptian position. He tried to leave, lead a rebellion against God's people or uh, with God's people because they're in slavery so he goes down and uh, he has this uh, encounter with an Egyptian slave driver he ends up killing him he tries to uh, to lead God's people and they end up saying you know who are you to to sit as a prince or who made you prince or judge over us and they reject his leadership this was so impacting to Moses that he ran away he ran for his life and for 40 years he has lived out in the desert as a shepherd and so what we have to understand is that for 40 years he grew up in Pharaoh's household and then for 40 years now he's been out in the desert so he's 80 years old and he has no desire to lead he completely feels uh, rejected because and when we find Moses in the story he's a man that doesn't know who he is he's lost He's not really an Egyptian, and he's not really accepted as a Hebrew. And John Calvin says, our wisdom, in so far as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. But, with, but as these are connected together by many ties, it's not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the, uh, and the, and the other. So when we find Moses at 80 years old in the desert, he encounters God and he's commissioned to lead the Israelites, and, but he has to deal with these two questions. Who am I? Because he doesn't know who he is. Am I Hebrew? Am I Egyptian? He doesn't know. Like, who am I? And then who is God? He doesn't know God at this point. So when, he, when, he, when, we get a, when we're trying to figure out life, and you're like, who am I? Why am I here? What's the purpose? What's the point of all of this? What, why, what am I supposed to do? How you answer those two questions is critical. For Moses, the answer that he gets about who he is and who God is directs the rest of his life. And the same is true for us. Who you understand you to be and who you understand God to be is, is pivotal in your life. And it directs everything else. Everything flows from those two questions. And so before we jump into it, let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that you will help us to understand who you are. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to understand who we are. And Lord, we're going to see something very, very powerful, that you have a purpose and a plan for all of us, and that you have done very, something very special uh, to show us that. 
And so, Lord, we pray that you will help us to understand these things. We pray it in, pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing in Exodus chapter 3 that we see, starting with verse 1, is that God reveals himself. Look at verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And so God did not, or God did not go to Moses. God brought Moses to where he was. And so God created a situation that piqued Moses' curiosity. There was this bush, so he turns aside to see this great sight, why the bush was not burned. And Moses is thinking, how is this bush on fire? Because it would have gone on and on and on. How is it possible that this bush is on fire, but yet not consumed it's the leaves and the branches and the as he looks at it it's not consumed and so later God's going to tell Moses who he is he's going to say I am and the one that exists yet is not consumed so he doesn't need anyone he doesn't need anything and so before he tells him the spiritual truth he shows him a spiritual uh, miracle like he shows him what God is like before he tells him and so this is the I think an important thing to see is that oftentimes God will show us something he's like this is who I am this is what I am like and then he will tell us this is who I am this is what I'm like and so Moses would even use this moment this physical miracle that communicated a spiritual truth later in Deuteronomy where he would say for the Lord your God is a consuming fire and so he's revealed himself as this consuming fire. And so when Moses begins to approach this curiosity of the burning bush, God calls out to him and he says, Do not come near. You have to pay attention to, to what God says, right? Pay attention. Don't come near. Take off your sandals. Uh, so God calls out to him, Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So for a few brief moments in time and space, the bush was the temple of the living God, the place, his presence on earth. So you have, okay, so I thought, Drew, I thought, you, I thought God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at the same time. He is. There are some times that we see in scripture where he reveals himself to mankind in a very special way. And so here, there's this point in the desert where it's, a day before was just like any other place in the desert. But now there's this circle in the desert where God says, this is where I am. And in the middle of that circle is the burning bush. And he attracts Moses to come to this burning bush and to see what is going on. And so this is the first time that we see the word holy that's used as it relates to God. And God is revealing his holiness to mankind in a way that has never been revealed before. So when we see this burning bush, God is communicating something about himself to the person Moses. 
that's never been revealed before. He says, I'm holy. And holiness means separation. So something holy is set apart. Like we say, it's the Holy Bible. It's a book, but it's unlike any other book. Right? We say that God is holy and that he's above or separated from everything else. And so while in the bush, he's distinctly different from the rest of his creation. He is the eternal creator and everything else is his creation. In Hosea chapter 11, 9, it kind of helps us understand. It says, for I am God and not man, the holy one in your midst. And so when we see a holy God, it comes in contrast to Moses who is not holy he warns him, do not come near. So it is dangerous for mankind to come into contact with a holy God or the holy God. It's very dangerous for us. We cannot just enter into his presence. So God gives Moses instructions for how he would enter into the presence of a holy God. He says, take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And so God chooses where he allows his presence to be confined. And if he allowed it to be over the entire earth, the entire earth would be consumed because he is holy. Just like if Moses had entered into that circle without taking the sandals off, he would have been consumed by the holy God. And so he limits his presence to this special spot of the desert. He allows Moses to enter into this small circle. On the outside of the circle would have been a pair of sandals that had been kicked off the feet and on the inside of the circle, we find this man, Moses, who is not holy, who is now coming to the presence of a holy God. This murderous man. Remember, Moses is a murderer, right? He has murdered a man. Nothing's been done about that. There's been no justice indicated. He is a murderer who now enters into the presence of a holy God. And so mankind typically takes two approaches as we enter into this idea of holiness, right? We either tend to downplay God's holiness, where we say, uh, you know, he's not really, you know, uh, God's word's not really that important, following it's not, he doesn't really mean what he, kind of what he says, and, and we downplay what it means to be holy, or we tend, and that's where we just take God's word and just ignore it, and we just say, well, I know the Bible says this, but what it really means is this, and it's, you know, you don't really have to kind of do that, you know, it's just, you know, and we downplay the holiness of God, or we upplay how, uh, how holy we are, right? That's what we say, well, everybody's good, everybody's, everybody is, is out to do the good, you know, the, everybody, there's, there's, you know, everybody's just basically good, they're just doing the best they can, and, and God, when we get to heaven, is just going to let everybody in, because, you know, they did the best they could, and, you know, they're just good, they're just overall good people, you know, they're just good people. That's problems. So that's not what we see here in Scripture. And so what we see, here's your first big idea I want you to get this morning, is the only way for mankind to enter into the presence of the holy God is for mankind to become holy. Right? So God makes a way for Moses to be able to enter into his presence. God makes a way for us to be able to enter into his presence. This is why Jesus is so important for humanity. Look in Colossians chapter 1. And it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's all of us. All have sinned, fall short of the God. You, you, all of you, who once were hostile, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. The reason Jesus died on the cross was so that we could be reconciled back to God because he is holy and we are not. In order to present you holy, where we were not holy before our relationship with Christ, 
Now we have been made holy because of our relationship with Jesus Christ and blameless above reproach before him. So God has prepared, in order for mankind to enter into the presence of a holy God, mankind has to become holy. Then God tells Moses, I am the God of your father. It was by faith that Moses' father and mother hid him in a basket and placed him among the bulrushes along the Nile. Hebrews eleven twenty three says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. We've already seen that passage, right? So before Moses' father Jacob and before Jacob was Isaac and all the way back to Adam, these were all people who had placed their faith in the one true God. And in response to God's word, Moses hid his face. He collapsed on the ground, for he was afraid to look at God. And Proverbs chapter 9 tells us, For the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So the very beginning of, of our relationship with God and understanding who he is and understand what it means to be wise and understand how to live this life, it all begins with a fear of God this this fear of like I am a unholy person who is now entered into the presence of a holy God and then once I understand that I can't just enter into his presence any way that I want to I have to be holy myself then then that changes how we interact with God and that's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge and this understanding of how I relate to God has to be in a way that is in this relationship of a holy relationship so the closer we draw to God the more we realize how far away or different from God we truly are I don't know if you've ever experienced that but as you are you're reading through scripture and you start before you're thinking yeah I'm a pretty good person I never killed anybody I'm not like Moses right I'm a pretty good person I do this and I do this good thing and I do this good thing and then we and then we encounter God's Word and, and that truth of kind of who we are really comes out and then it's like, okay, well, I'm not quite as, as, as far along the way as I thought I was. And I have a long way to go. And the more I learn about God and how separate and distinct and far away he is, I'm not God. We tend to think we are sometimes. I'm not God. He is God. And I am there's distinctly different. So then, second thing that we see is that God sends those that he saves. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And just as an aside, in seminary, there's this requirement that every pastor make a joke at this point about termites. It's just one of those things. I'm going to spare you that and not do that. Okay, let's keep going. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have been seen and have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt and so when God tells them that he had heard their cry and that he's going to do something about it notice that he's going to deliver them out of 
something, slavery and oppression, and he's going to bring them to something, a land flowing with milk and honey, a good and broad land. He's taking them from something, and he's delivering them to something. They are being delivered from, and God is taking them to. Uh, every follower of Christ receives two callings, right? You are called for, first to salvation, and then you are called to service. You are called from sin, you are sent to serve. This, you see this, this is a pattern you see again and again and again in Scripture. You're not just called to receive salvation. I'm done. Goo, see y'all later. Peace out. Right, I'm out. I'm going to go do my thing. I'm going to go have fun in life. No, 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 no. Scripture is very clear that we are saved from sin and oppression and bondage and being chained. To, we're freed from that, but we're also sent to something else to serve. The plan to deliver his people from their slavery involved Moses going and taking or talking to the Pharaoh. He is the one that God is sending to lead peoples out of slavery. He says, I will send you. As Jesus is ascending into heaven, he gives this command to his followers in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations you have been saved from sin you have been sent to the nations we see this pattern again and again in scripture to be a follower of the one true God going all the way back to Moses all the way up to Jesus all the way up to the church that we see in the Gospels and everything else it's always I'm saved from and sent to so the question is I've been saved from God. Are you saved? That's the first question. I hope that you are, but we talk about that at the end, right? But hopefully you are saved, but if you have been saved, you are being sent to. What is it that I am being sent to do? How, is God, how does God want me to serve? And the work of salvation. So those who have been called, this is our kind of big idea, those that have been called to salvation are always called to serve. Always. The work of salvation is God's work from beginning to the end. It's nothing that we do, but it's from the beginning of the end. God uses us as he used Moses to accomplish his saving purpose. We're a part of it, but we are not the it. That's important for us to understand. Because we're, we're, we're about to talk about some excuses that Moses gives. And most of the time when we start talking about you've been received from, you're going to send to, the first thing we go is like, ah, I don't know what to say, I don't know I don't, know, I don't know how to do that. I, I can't, I, I'm not, I'm, that's not what, that's not what I'm, I'm not gifted to do that. It's not you that's doing the saving. It's God that's doing the saving. Moses has already tried to do this earlier in his life. Right? Moses has already tried to do this. He's, he went down to where they were. He uh, sat in judgment over them. He even killed a man to try to lead the rebellion. He came, he's like, why don't y'all follow me? He had tried to lead this rebellion earlier in his life when he was 40, and now he's 80. And he failed so miserably that he had to leave the country. And so now, when, it's, when it, the time has finally arrived, Moses becomes filled with self-doubt, and he gives five excuses. Today, we're going to look at the first two this morning. But I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a moment in your life where you have tried, Lord, I tried, I tried to do this, and you failed. Right? This is Moses' story. Moses tried. He went out, he gave it the whole college try, he did his best, he did it. He's like, Lord, I've done this in the past, I failed, this isn't my thing, I've tried it. 
then this, then I want you to look at Moses. Because God's not going to let you sit in that failure. Like, he's going to call you to do something. You can't just go, you know, I tried that. That's just not my thing. You can't, you can't give that excuse. But this, but this man, Moses, is filled with self-doubt. He's filled with this sense of failure. And so he gives his first excuse. The first one is, someone else would be better at this than me. Surely, amongst other people around me, someone's going to be better at what you're asking me to do than, the, than me. Right? Just let them do it. Let, I, let's let them do it. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And then he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. When God calls him from the burning bush, Moses' first response, Here I am, Lord, I'm here. Yay! I would love to enter into the presence of God. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Absolutely. He took his sandals off. Bloop, bloop. He walks into the circle. He's there at the bush. He's bowing down, right? God said he's doing everything he's supposed to do that God has told him to do to enter into his presence. Right? He's, in, he's done it. And when he's, he's indicated that this is the God of, of he's, he, I want to follow the God of Isaac and Jacob and my dad and my dad's dad. And I, I, this is wonderful. He's all on board. His words and actions are the same as Isaiah when the prophet says, Here I am, send me, I'm ready to roll, Lord. What do you want to do? I'm ready to go. And so then he says, Go talk to Pharaoh. Hold up. Hold up. Wait a minute. Right? Because it says, But Moses said to God, right, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh. Oh, wait a minute. That's a bigger thing that I actually thought that you actually wanted me to do. I'm good with the shepherding thing. I'm good with the running off the shepherds who were hurt, you know, the, his earlier, you know, he ran off the shepherd. I'm good with protection, you know, I can kind of do that. You want me to go? And so he's like, oh no. So his first excuse for not doing what God's commanded him to do was, who am I? Moses will not get a true understanding of who he is until he has this encounter with God. For 80 years, he has searched to try to discover, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? But it's not until he has this encounter with God at the burning bush that he begins to understand who I am. Moses asked, who am I? And then his next question is, who are you? We can't understand who we are without a relationship with God. And you can get out there and you can read books and you can go to school and you could explore and you can go interview people and you can try to figure all those things out but at the end of the day you will not know who you are and you will not understand why you're here. You will not understand the purpose of your life until you have a relationship with the one true God because he is your creator. He made you. He has a purpose and plan for you. But if you ignore that relationship then you're going to go through your entire life He's 80 years old at this point, 80 years old. He still doesn't understand, why am I here? What's the point? God has already said, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I have come to bring them out of the land. God says, I will bring them out of the land. When he says this, Moses is thinking, Moses is going to lead them or bring them out of the land. No. God says, I will do this. 
God has said that he would be doing the delivering, but Moses would play a part. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. At this point, Moses is, is remembering his first attempt, right? Forty years earlier, he, he had tried to be the deliverer. The people's question was, who made you prince and judge over us? Moses is thinking, my last attempt was a failure. I have failed in the past to do this very thing that you are asking me to do right now. Why, how in the world is it going to go any different? So God responds, but this time I am with you. See the difference? There's a huge difference. You get out there in life and you try to do this thing on your own, you're going to fail every time because you're doing it in your own strength, your own wisdom, and all of this thing. But then you say, God, I want to serve. I want to do this thing. But then we leave him out of the picture and we go off and we do what we want to do, what we feel called to do. We put all that stuff in our own heads. And God says, that's not what I'm asking you to do. This is what I want you to do. And you go, whoa, that's bigger than I thought. I can't do this. Yes, you can, because this time, I am with you. God is with you. Those are two worlds apart. You try to live life on your own versus you live this life doing what God's called you to do with his presence in your life. I will be with you. And so notice that God did not try to convince Moses that he had what it took to do the job. Right? So when Moses says, I can't do this, God doesn't go, oh, yes, you are, you're so smart, you went to Egyptian school, remember, you speak two languages. He doesn't go through his resume. He doesn't go back through and say, oh, this is how good of a person you are. Remember that one time he helped that lady? And he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't focus on Moses at all. The Exodus did not depend upon the competence of Moses, but on the presence of God. It's not about your competence in life. It's not about how smart you are, how good looking you are, how much experience you have. None of those things really matter at the, end of, at the end of the day. What matters is, is God's presence in your life when you are attempting to do the thing he's called you to do. Is his presence there? Moses' ability has nothing to do with the deliverance of the people. God had promised to be with Moses, and with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Whether you could do it or not, is not, is not doesn't matter. What matters is, has God called you to do it? Is his presence with you? And are you being faithful to do it? So here's, here's kind of the big idea I want you to get is God's people follow his instructions and they act in faith. And so we got his word. His word says this. He says, I'm supposed to do this. And so I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to do that. God provides his presence in the circumstance. So God's presence is there, then the impossible becomes possible. That's, how, that's the order of things that we see here. You get out there, you try to do things on your own, you're going to fail. You failed before, you fail again. You get out there, you try to do what you're called to do by God, who has said, this is what you're supposed to do, and Lord, I need you to go before me. Your presence has to be there. He'll come, he'll do it. Right? He's faithful to keep his word. And then the thing that you thought in your head was impossible, suddenly it starts to happen, and it becomes possible. God also gave Moses a sign. He says, I, God, have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So he's on the mountain. He's all by himself. He's got his face on the ground. He sees this burning bush. There's nothing around him but desert. And he's like, there's going to come a day when you're going to be right back in this same spot, and there's going to be a million people around you, and, you will, and I will have done what I told you that I was going to do. 
that's going to be a sign for you. Why would God give Moses that sign? This is important. There's going to come a day when Moses is going to do what God has told him to do. He's going to be on that mountain. He's going to look around. It's going to be a million people. And the bringing them out of slavery was just the beginning. That's just the beginning. That's just the beginning of the story was them coming out of slavery. Now they've been called to that holy mountain to serve the one true God. right? So God's people were going to be called out of slavery and then they were going to be called to serve the one and only God. So now Moses is going to be called out and he's going to serve. And then also God's people, when they are called out, they're going to all get back to that same spot on the mountain and they're going to be worshiping the one true God because they have been called to serve as well. The exodus was just the beginning of what's going to happen with God's people. And Moses is going, to, is going to get to a point to where he's like, I've done my part. I'm out. And God says, no, no, no. That's just the beginning. We still got, we got, we got red seas to walk through. And we got manna to talk about. And we got, we got a whole lot more that's coming down the road. So the goal of Exodus was not simply to deliver them, but to have them gather and serve him as his people. The people themselves would be called to deliverance and then called to serve. That's, that is, and he's telling him this now because he's going to need this later. God is going to give you something now. You're like, God, why are you telling me this? I don't understand this. What is this for? This is for later when God keeps his word in your life so that you've got it. It's a seed or something that you put on deposit in, your, in the back of your brain. God's giving you this so later it comes out. And when God is talking to Abram, this is a little earlier in Scripture in Genesis chapter 12, he gives him the way that God's people were going to serve. And it says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, I will, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is going to bless the entire world through this one people, this one nation. As we know, the scripture or the salvation's coming. Jesus is coming. It's going to come through this lineage of this people. First excuse. Who am I? You are the one that God is called out of bondage and slavery and sin. And you are the one that has been sent to do something in his name. You have been called to serve. You've been brought from and you are being sent to. Second excuse that Moses gives. I don't know God well enough. Right? You ask somebody to do something, I'm not really mature enough to do that. I, I, need to, I don't know the Bible well enough to do that. I, I, don't, I, don't know, I just don't know God well enough. All right? So then God deals with this excuse. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am was sent, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all of generations. So the second excuse 
is not, if we're not doing what God has commanded him to do, is who are you? And so Moses gives, so God describes himself to Moses. He says, I am who I am. And he said, so say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me. I am who I am. Bible scholars don't know what this means. If you, if you talk to Bible scholars, there's 20 different interpretations for what this text means. I believe it's a reference to God being self-sufficient, like the bush. Right? He showed him, this is what I'm like, and now he says, this is who I am. Uh, it's a God who is eternal. It's a God that's separate and holy and distinct from the rest of creation. It's a God that doesn't need anything. He, he goes on and on and on. He's eternal. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need creation. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need anything. He's just completely distinct and set apart. And later in Exodus, when Moses writes a song, the Exodus about it, he says, The Lord is his name. So in these verses in Exodus, God uses variations of the same idea five different times, right? I will be with you, or better, it is I am who is with you. Three times in verse 14, it says I am. Once in verse 15, the Lord, L-O-R-D, all the uh, ESV represents this name as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You'll see it's different in different texts. So, but his special name means something like he who is or I am the one who is, but we, get, we understand that he's unchanging, that he's eternal. And he says, I was who I was, or I will be who I will be. Uh, this is because this being has no past, it has no present, he's just eternal. It's the eternal present, he's always been. And he doesn't need anything, he's all powerful. And so he gives another revelation of who he is when he says, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent, him, has sent me to you. And so the same God who is active in history, specifically the history of God's people, he was present and caused creation. And then he was there when he called out Abraham. And then he was the same God that called out Isaac and Jacob. And so we have the historical account of who this God is. What is he like from beginning all the way up till we get to where Moses is. He's like, I'm the same God. The God of this person, the God of this person, of this generation, the previous generation. I'm the same God. And God is independent of his creation, separate from those that he calls out. And later God would give us another name for what he is to be called. When Jesus was interacting with the religious leaders, and they're arguing, and they call him a demon, right? You're just a demon. He says this in John chapter 8. Jesus has responded to these false accusations and things. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see me, see my day. And he said, he saw it and was glad. So he's saying that Abraham saw me, Jesus, and he was glad. The Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Abraham, remember, hundreds of years before. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What does that mean? It's very clear to the audience at the time what it means, because their response to his, what he said was to pick up a rock and stone him. For blasphemy because he's saying I 
am. The same name that's given to us in Exodus chapter 3 when God says, I am. Jesus says, that's me. I am. I was there with Abraham and he saw me and, and he was glad that he saw me. And now here I am now with Jesus' day and he says, I am the same person, the same God. They, again, picked up stones. They were going to kill him. And then later in John chapter 8, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And then just to make sure we're on the same page, later in the same, the same chapter, verse 28, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, that's a crucifixion, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Christian is a person who believes that Jesus is the great I am. The same God that was in the beginning, goes all the way through the Old Testament, and then in Jesus, he appears to us. This I am God appears to us as Jesus. And we put our faith and trust in him. There are people who will come to church and they'll learn all about God, but they do not know God. There's a difference between knowing about God, historical facts and all these different things, and knowing him personally. God came and he took on human flesh so that we could know him. His whole point of Jesus coming was so that we could know who God is and what he is like. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's who we are. We are sinners. And, God, you know, and God's desire is for the, us, his creation, who have rebelled against him, to spend eternity with him in, in heaven, right? We, he wants us to be with him. And so he sent Jesus so that he would ultimately die on the cross as our sal way of salvation. But also so that we could just know who God is. What is he like? If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. This one I am of the Old Testament all the way through that's what God is like he walked amongst us he taught us as no one had ever taught he performed miracles to prove that he was who he says that he was and if you know him you can trust him and if you can trust him then you can obey him and if you obey him then you can be blessed in all your ways the scripture says so do you know him today so there's two big ideas I want you to get before we wrap up. One, do you know who you are? The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And so when we enter in, there's no way for us as unholy people to enter into the presence of God unless God makes a way, like he did for Moses. God has made a way for us who are unholy to enter into the presence of a holy God. That's why Jesus came on this earth. Do you know who Jesus is? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Do you have a relationship with him? Everything flows from that. You're not going to be able to figure out why am I here, what's my point, what's my life call, and all of that until you have a relationship with God. And the way we have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. And then those who are saved are sent. So the second thing is, I know who I am, and, I have under, and now I see that God of the Old Testament is this God who comes to save us, who is the God of deliverance, not a God of judgment. He is a God of judgment and mercy, but what we see is that his primary speaking to us is through Jesus, who is compassionate and loving and kind. This is, I want you to be saved from your sin. 
That's who God is, is that he's that God of compassion. Do you know him today? There's a way, there's a, the, there's, um, a couple of things to think about, is that if you would like to enter into a relationship with him, we have to be willing to admit that we are a sinner. Where we say, Lord, I have sinned, I have fallen before you, I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I realize I have broken your law, I realize these things about myself. I admit that to you. I admit that I am in need of a Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ came to die for me on the cross. I believe what the Bible says. I want to put my faith in Him, this God of, of the Bible. I want to put my faith in Him because He said that that's why He died on the cross, was so that I could be forgiven of my sin. And then confess Him as your Lord and Savior, which means that for the rest of your days, you follow and obey Him. You put your faith and trust in Him. That's one group of people in this room. The other group of people have said, Drew, I've already done that. I've already put my faith in him. And now he's sending you out, right? We see it from the beginning. We see it all the way through the gospel. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you are saved from and sent to. So the question is, what am I being sent to? That's a conversation between you and the Lord. Right? You say, Lord, what is it that you would have me to do while I'm here? You've saved me. I put my faith in you, but now what is the task that my hand is, what's the, I've got to, there's a plow I've got to put my hand to and go to work. What, what is it? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Exodus chapter 3. Man, what a powerful chapter. Lord, we thank you for Moses' example of he was a person that gave excuses just like we do. And Lord, I thank you that you have presented him to us and allow us to, un, to just see who Moses is. Lord, I pray for the person in this room this morning who's never given their heart and their life to you. And they've come to realize that if they were entering into the presence of a holy God, that they would not be allowed in, that it would, they, would just, they cannot enter into your presence. But Lord, through your Holy Spirit, you at this moment are drawing them, and they realize, I want to be forgiven of my sin. I want to have a relationship with the one true God. If that's you, friend, you could say a prayer, something like this to yourself. It's the conversation between you and the Lord. Dear Jesus, I admit to you right now that I am a sinner. I have done things that I know displease you. I believe that Jesus Christ came to die for me on the cross. I believe what the Bible says. I confess you now as my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you the rest of my life. I give my life to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And Lord, also I pray for the believers in the room, those who would say, I have prayed to receive Christ. I am a follower of the one true God. I love him. I want to do whatever it is he commands. And then he's, but, we, but I'm not sure what that is. Lord, I pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, would just reveal that to them. And when they start giving excuses, like that's too big, that's impossible, I can't do that. I'm too old. Whatever the excuse is, they start rolling out. Lord, I pray that you would remind them of Moses and remind them of who you are, that you are the God that does the impossible. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.